Let's hear God's word from the book of 1 Chronicles, chapter 29, beginning with verse 9. Then the people rejoiced, for they had offered willingly, because with a loyal heart they had offered willingly to the Lord. And King David also rejoiced greatly. Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. For we are aliens and pilgrims before you, as were all our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow. And without hope, O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand and is all your own. Amen. We'll end our reading there in verse 16. Let's once again ask for God's help in prayer. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, as we come to this portion of your word also, we ask that it would work in our hearts as it should. May we be enabled to join in with David and with the multitude of Israel in blessing the Lord our God, in thanking him, and in praising your glorious name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Gratitude is basic, is fundamental to the Christian life. Really, if you think about it, it would be very difficult to have any kind of religion at all without gratitude, and certainly you can't have Christian religion. You can't have any flavor of Christianity that is not characterized by gratitude. The recognition, we are not God, God provides for us, is basic. And that's why gratitude is the first and the most essential responsibility or duty of any human being. All of us have received God's goodness because we exist, if in no other way, and of course none of us exist without receiving God's goodness also in some additional ways as well. And so gratitude is basic. Now, I think this is one area where the Reformed Church really does have a very significant strength because gratitude is embedded so deeply in our catechism. It's the framework of the whole Christian life. One of the three things that we need to know in order to live and die happily in the comfort that God gives us is how we are to be thankful to God for such redemption. And the Catechism explains the whole life of obedience when it's expounding the Ten Commandments, when it's telling us what to do and what not to do. That is all under the heading from the perspective of gratitude. Why 
do we obey God? Well, you could give a number of reasons for that. You could say, well, we obey God because he is God and we are not. That's a very good reason to obey God. You could say, well, I'll obey God because there's consequences for not doing so. That's also true. It's not quite as good a reason, but it's also true. But the catechism doesn't depend on those reasons, doesn't put a lot of emphasis on those reasons. The catechism centers the reason of gratitude. Why should you keep the Ten Commandments? Why should you try to obey God's law? Because God has redeemed you, because it is the natural, the fitting, the only appropriate response to God and to his mercy in your life. Well, The catechism in that third section also deals with prayer. And what does it say about prayer? It is the chief part of that thankfulness that God requires of us. What is the source? What is the engine of prayer? Thankfulness. Are you struggling to pray? Do you find it difficult to set aside time and focus on prayer? Well, maybe the right way to begin there would be to give thanks, to count your blessings towards the Lord. Maybe that would be a good way to strengthen the habit of prayer. Because where does prayer come from? What is it essentially? It comes from gratitude. It's fundamentally an expression of that disposition or orientation towards God where we acknowledge him as the one who gives every good gift. Gratitude is fundamental. Now, because gratitude is fundamental, of course, in a sense, it's a little ridiculous to have Thanksgiving Day. What do you mean Thanksgiving Day? You need Thanksgiving year. You need Thanksgiving decade. You need Thanksgiving your whole life. So please don't limit your giving of thanks to tomorrow. It's good to have a day that everybody recognizes where you can set it aside for giving thanks. But giving thanks one day of the year is nowhere near enough. That's also why it's a good habit to pray together as a family before meals, to give God thanks for the food. Now you're building it into the rhythm and into the structure of your day. With all of that said, yeah, hopefully you know I'm not against Thanksgiving Day. I just I want to expand it. I want to amplify it. I don't want Thanksgiving Day to be an excuse to say, well, I did my giving of thanks for the year. Now I'm off the hook. Well, first of all, giving thanks shouldn't be a hook. It shouldn't feel like a hook. It shouldn't be, oh man, I gotta give thanks again. What a nightmare. If gratitude is a burden, how miserable are you? I mean, really, if giving thanks is not a joy, something is deeply, deeply wrong. Gratitude is fundamental. So don't collect it all for tomorrow. Spread it out. The more you give thanks, the more you'll find things to give thanks for. Well, that brings us to our passage for this evening where we have an explosion of thanksgiving in a public worship service. Let me remind you of the context. Solomon has been anointed to take David's place, but David is still king. 
And as one of the last acts of his reign, it's very shortly before his death, David calls the people together. He explains to them what he has laid up in order for Solomon to build the temple of the Lord. Up until this point, the Lord's worship has still been conducted in a tent. But David wanted to build a temple. The Lord said, you won't build it. You've been a man of blood, a man of violence and conflict. Solomon, who is a man of peace, will build the temple. But in his zeal, David said, well, I'm going to collect what Solomon will need. So he had laid up a tremendous store of gold and silver and bronze and marble and precious stones and many other things that would be needed. And he gave an opportunity to the people to participate as well. So the offerings from the people exceeded what David had been able to lay up by himself. And when that moment happened, when they viewed what had been stored up or when whoever was counting came and gave the tally, that's where our reading began. Then the people rejoiced for they had offered willingly. And with this joy, David led them in a service of worship where he blessed the Lord and said those words that we read in verses 10 through 16. Now, we're not going to focus on the whole of it. We're going to draw out certain thoughts instead of going all the way through. But I want you to notice, first of all, David's doxology, where David is blessing or praising God, announcing the blessedness of God, his glory, in the words that he uses. Now, you might have recognized these words. They might have rung a bell a little bit. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. It's very similar to the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. My opinion is that when the Lord Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer, he was remembering 1 Chronicles 29, and he drew on the words of his great ancestor in order to provide a suitable conclusion to the Lord's Prayer. Now, having given God that praise, having announced that God is wonderful in all these ways, in blessedness, in greatness, in power, in glory, in victory, in majesty, in sovereignty, in exaltation, then David says, now, therefore, our God, we thank you. In the Anglican prayer book, there's a phrase It goes something like this. We thank you for your great glory. That seems to me like a little summary, a little commentary on what David is doing here. What is he thanking God for? What are his reasons for gratitude? I think the first reason is simply God is who he is. God exists. God is this kind of of a being. We give you thanks for your great glory. C.S. Lewis has commented on that phrase and in one sense highlighted how surprising it is, as though the being of God were itself the greatest blessing to us, the greatest benefit for us. And it is. 
at C.S. Lewis, if you look at it properly, the reality of who God is is the biggest, the best, the deepest thing that there could ever be. You could not have a greater reason for gratitude than God himself, who he is. Now, that's a reason for gratitude that applies whatever your circumstances are because God is always the same. He never changes. He never fails. And so in all your ups and downs and all your twists and turns, you can give thanks to God for his great glory. Oh, may God be pleased to grant us that vision of himself, to know that the response of gratitude is not just to this or that gift, is not just to when our prayers receive an answer, is not just when we get what we want, is not just when we're surprised with something nice, but is always there because the most basic, the ultimate reason is God himself. But David doesn't stop there. He says, now, therefore, God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? You see what David is saying? The gift of offering willingly came from God. How did the people bring all of this stuff And how did they bring it cheerfully? Because God gave them that gift. He had already spelled it out to some extent in verse 9. The people rejoiced for they had offered willingly. What is one of the best gifts that God can give you? The gift of giving of you having that generous disposition to share, to bring, whether it's for the work of the Lord, whether it's to alleviate those who are in need. Ultimately, we understand that those are just two different aspects of the same basic truth. We are happy to share what God has given us. When we're unhappy, when we're stressed out, when we're looking for ways to minimize the burden of giving, well, once again, it's a sign that something has gone astray. Are you grateful to God for the gift of giving, for the gift of opportunity, for the gift of means, for the gift of willingness? You see, all those things come from God. Why are there opportunities to do good? Why are there opportunities to share what you have? Why are there opportunities to contribute in one way or another? Because God is good. And why are you willing to do that? Why, when you hear of a need, do you think, I wonder if I could do something about that? And why are you happy when, in fact, you can? Maybe you can contribute a lot. Maybe you can contribute a little. But why are you happy to contribute whatever it is? Well, that is not natural to fallen humanity. In our fallenness, in our unredeemed state, we are selfish. We look out for number one. We have an eye open to say, how does this help me? Now, there will be people who will give away staggering sums of money 
But sometimes they do it as a tax write-off. Sometimes they do it for reputation. Sometimes they do it in order to garner praise, or sometimes they do it to throw somebody off the scent. People could have many reasons for acting generous, even when they're truly selfish. But what sparks, what draws out genuine generosity? Well, that also is a gift of God to his people. The Lord loves a cheerful giver, and so the Lord creates cheerful givers by changing our hearts so that instead of always and only looking out for number one, we are happy to contribute to others. Giving the opportunity, the willingness to give, are gifts of God. If you feel that you're falling short in that particular regard, remember the remedy that God has given you for every problem and every challenge that you face and turn to the Lord and say, Lord, Make me generous. Make me to be that kind of cheerful giver whom you love. Wouldn't that be wonderful to know that by God's grace, he has transformed you into just the sort of person he likes most, a cheerful giver, rejoicing because they had offered willingly. What a blessing. You know, it's in the context where Paul is talking about that, about how people had contributed to the offering for the saints in Jerusalem, that he explodes with that little doxology, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. It was the grace of God operating in the hearts of believers, making them generous, that led Paul to give God thanks for that amazing work of grace. Now, I mentioned this in passing, that the means wherewith to give are also the gift of God. But I didn't talk about that a whole lot under the gift of giving because David is going to emphasize that a little bit more in what he goes on to say. Who am I? Who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? The willingly is what we've been talking about. But now notice this next part. For all things come from you. And of your own we have given you, for we are aliens and pilgrims before you, as were all our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. Incidentally, that expression there, without hope, could be understood to mean without a gathering together, without an accumulation. And then David winds up with saying, O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand and is all your own. So notice that David kind of says the same things twice. He says, all things come from you, of your own we have given you. And then in verse 16, he says, all, everything, all of this is from your hand and is all your own. So he repeats that thought two times. And in between he emphasizes the natural poverty that we have. Left to our own devices, just without God's intervention, what are we? We're aliens and pilgrims. We're strangers without possession, without anything that we can truly call our own. And we're so brief, we're so fleeting, we're temporary. Our days on earth are 
as a shadow. There is no laying up. There is no gathering together. Well, those are the conditions of human life. And, of course, David is not ignorant of the fact that many people amass great wealth and even that they pass it on to their heirs. But in terms of something that is useful to God, we're all desperately poor. We have nothing to offer. We have nothing to bring. There is nothing that God needs from you. You have no bargaining chips. You have no leverage in negotiations. You're a breath, a poverty-stricken breath from God's point of view. Except that God gives us this privilege. He gives us the substance, the means, the wherewithal to contribute. But God also has so organized his kingdom. God also so pursues his plan in the world that he gives to his people the unspeakable privilege of being part of the furtherance of that kingdom. Why had they given all of this for the temple? And what was the meaning of the temple? Well, the meaning of the temple was that God would permanently dwell among his people. Now, of course, the building was not really the main point. But what the building taught was tremendously important. And through the building, God revealed staggering truth to his people through the building that they had the privilege of contributing to. Through the building that, if not the people gathered here, at least their kids would work on, would participate in constructing. Well, in the same way, it's not really about buildings. I mean, yes, we need buildings and we're grateful for everybody who contributes, whether to the original building or to the expansion or to the maintenance or in whatever other way it may be. But the real point is not the building. The real point is God's plan is advancing, God's unfolding of his manifold wisdom so that we can see what he's about, God's revelation of tremendous truths about his relationship to his people continues. And God in grace sets up the opportunities that we, with the poor little ridiculous things that we can do, with the paltry amounts that we can contribute, with the minor service that we render, That in all of that littleness, in all of that insignificance, he gives us the unspeakable privilege of contributing to the kingdom of God, to the unfolding of his great plan. Oh, what a gift it is. Now, God could have set everything up without us. God didn't need to call me to preach the gospel in order for people to hear, if you want a concrete example of that. God could have had the gospel announced from heaven by angels. God could have thundered and had the whole world hear the gospel simultaneously. But he didn't do that. And reflecting on that kind of reality, Paul says, unto me who am less than the least of all saints given, or who, who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You see, Paul also felt that serving God, being useful in God's kingdom, was 
an unmeasurable privilege. Oh, God has given us such a gift, the gift of giving, the gift of opportunity, the gift of means, the gift of willingness. And if I can add an expression there, the gift of being able to make a meaningful contribution, of being able to do something that in God's surprising administration of his kingdom has value, actually contributes to the work of the Lord. Paul can speak about being a co-laborer with God. Isn't that amazing? God invites us to work together with him by what we do in the church, by what we do in our families, by how we support others. We are working together with God. That is a gift. And of course, that brings us back around. Who does that? Well, the kind of God whom we praise for his great glory. Now, before we conclude, I just feel compelled to add one point here. You know that David is a type of Christ in multiple particulars, but have you ever thought that David is like Christ in that David leads in worship? You know, it really wasn't up to the king, as king, to lead worship. And of course, David is a type of Christ as king. But with all the people gathered together, with them all rejoicing, David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, one who was called to be king but was given a role even wider than that of king, led the people in worship. Christ is our great worship leader. He leads us by example. You can read in the Gospels how he worshiped God in prayer, how he worshiped God in song, how he worshiped God in the proclamation of his word, how he worshiped God in praising and blessing and acknowledging God's sovereignty, not just in the Lord's prayer that he taught us, but even when the disciples returned from their mission. And in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I bless you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them unto babes. The Lord Jesus blessed God the Father for his sovereignty and salvation. The Lord Jesus gives us then, every time we come to worship, the gift of his presence, the gift of guiding us by his word and spirit into following his lead in worship. Hebrews says that about Jesus. It takes up words from the Psalms, from Psalm 22, and says, in the midst of my brethren, I will declare praise. We'll sing in the midst of the great congregation. I'm slightly misquoting there, but you get the general idea. Jesus is our worship leader. And in that, in leading the people of God in their joyful assembly, David was a type of Christ. So whenever we come to worship, whether it's a special service like this one or just the routine of every Sunday, who is really directing us? Well, if we come in faith, if we come in obedience to God's word, we have the privilege of being led in worship by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that is also a reason to give thanks. Amen.